A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Want to teach your kids financial literacy, but not sure where to start? Greenlight can help. With Greenlight, parents can keep an eye on kids' spending and saving, while kids and teens use a card of their own to build money confidence. As a parent, you can send instant money transfers, set up chores, automate allowance, and more. It's a convenient way to run your household, customized to your family's needs, and the easy way to raise financially smart kids. Get started with Greenlight today and get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Chapter 9, The Midnight Duel. Harry had never believed he would meet a boy he hated more than Dudley. But that was before he met Draco Malfoy. Still, first-year Gryffindors only had potions with the Slytherins, so they didn't have to put up with Malfoy much. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Casper Terkyle. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Although I grew up in England, my parents are both Dutch, so they were born and raised in Holland and moved to the UK just before I was born. And we spoke Dutch at home and celebrated Dutch festivals. I support the Dutch soccer team. In fact, I'm wearing an orange jersey right now. But, you know, growing up in England, I was shaped by its culture, its education system. And I feel more English in lots of ways than I do Dutch. I feel both. So I really feel European. So when there was this big vote last month about whether Britain should leave the European Union, you know, to me, it seemed like an obvious question, like, no, (laughs) of course, we're part of a European project. I'm European. Breaking that off feels like breaking two identities that I hold equally in half. It's just not something that's possible. So when the result came in, and it looked like a majority of my fellow countrymen and women had decided that they wanted to leave the European Union, that felt like a real betrayal, not only of my dual identity, my two passports, um, but also like within the line of my family, that people like my parents who were from other EU countries shouldn't be at home in England as they were before. It felt like a place that I loved and respected and was proud to be a part of had kind of betrayed an essential identity that we shared. So that theme of betrayal is one that I'm really curious to look for in this chapter because it speaks so deeply to who we are, the identities we hold, the stories we tell about ourselves, and the way that other people can exercise power over those over those identities. Casper, I, I love that story. I think it points out something that I hear a lot in my chaplaincy, which is betrayal has this word that, at least for me, often connotes an adulterous husband or some sort of individual betrayal. But I do feel that most of the betrayals that I hear about are institutional or power dynamic betrayals. I think that those betrayals can often be the biggest ones because 
We think of these institutions as being like a priori, as being just like gravity. They're just there. And so when they can disappear on us, it's really a deep betrayal. And I'm excited to learn from that point of view while reading this chapter of The Midnight Duel. Before we dive into the themes, it's time for our 30-second recap. Vanessa, it's your turn to go first. Let's see what you got. I'm going to try a different strategy. Okay. Watch. Learn. Three, two, one, go. So two main things happen in this. One is that we see Harry fly for the first time. And two is this whole dual thing that happens with Draco. So what happens is that in learning the fly for the first time, which is amazing and so exciting, Draco steals something from Neville. And Harry shows off that it turns out that he is going to be an amazing seeker. McGonagall is like, oh, my God, you're going to be an amazing seeker. Draco gets mad about that. So challenges Harry to a duel. But it turns out that challenging Harry to a duel was just a trap to get Harry, Ron, and Hermione and Neville caught by Filch. 30 seconds. God, I did horribly. Yeah, new approach is a thumbs down. I know, but you know, it's good to experiment. And I think that you should congratulate me on trying new things. Good for you. It means I get to win this week. Really? If I do well. Yeah, so much happens. Best of luck to you. On your mark, get set, go. Neville gets sent a rememberall by his gran, a little thing that turns red if you forget something. And so he's excited. Draco steals it. And then they have their first flying lessons. And Madame Hooch is weird. Um, and um, uh, Neville goes off uncontrolled, falls down. Draco takes a rememberall, goes up into the air. Harry challenges him. They like um, He catches it very amazingly. McGonagall sees it, tells him he should be a seeker on the Quidditch team. Sexy Oliver Wood is there. He's the captain. Um, Draco challenges to a duel. They go. Filch is there. Then they find a dog in a trapdoor. Wow, that was... I I did better. I talked about the trapdoor. Okay. <laughs> you know, I love that we don't actually have to figure out who did better because the voters will decide. Let's make a quick announcement. So we have now done nine 30-second recaps. And what we've decided to do is that after every 10 30-second recaps, we're going to add up all of the votes. And the loser is going to have to somehow humiliate him or her, but himself on our website in a photo of acquiescence to the winner. I just want to say that all humiliation will be consensual. (laughs) So next week will be the last one of those. And then in episode 11, we will announce. Casper, I really love the way that you framed this conversation about betrayal. And Draco is where I see it. And he does it twice. So first he does it when he steals Neville's Remembrall. And Harry chases him around on the broomsticks. And it turns out that Harry's a great flyer. And as soon as it looks as though Harry is going to beat Draco at his own game, Draco completely betrays the rules of this little challenge that he had set up and just drops the remember all, literally just drops the rules of the game on Harry. And then again, Draco challenges Harry to a duel. Harry doesn't even know what a duel is. This is all Draco's like, oh, this is a great wizarding tradition. And then just doesn't show up for the duel and instead, you know, six filch on Harry. And because of your story, Casper, I'm seeing this differently than I did just a few moments ago, which 
is that, yes, it's infuriating because this is the power of bullies it's just to change the rules on a dime. When somebody has all the power in the room, they can be like, oh, it's not about that anymore. It's now about this totally different thing. But I think that Draco is also a symbol of power in the wizarding world and how systems of power can just change the rules. And like one day you can qualify for a certain kind of health care and then the next day you just don't. And how the rules just change entirely and how that affects everything about your life. And Draco offers two examples of that type of betrayal in this chapter. I hadn't thought about it in that way. You're so you're so right. The way that a bully can use their power and influence to avoid any sort of shame for not showing up to a duel and just totally change what the game is about and, and maintain face and maintain power and without any consequences. It's so frustrating, you know, <laughs> if you're if you're not the bully, you're just completely powerless and the bully is able to do whatever they want. If Harry hadn't shown up for that duel, it would have been a totally different story, right? Like, like he's afraid, he's weak, whatever. Yeah, it's a lose-lose. And so I'm just trying to think, how do you usurp the power of a bully? How do you prevent a bully from betraying you. And I think what it is, and this gets to your story, is that power dynamics, when there is a huge power dynamic, that in and of itself is a betrayal. And so betrayals are just going to keep being enacted. Like there's no way to avoid a betrayal when one person or one institution has all of the power and the other doesn't. This is why I love Ron, because when they're preparing for that duel, Harry's like, I don't even know how to use this wand, let alone send a curse. What do I do if I can't do any magic? And Ron just says, just go and punch him on the nose. Because that is, in my experience, that is how you beat the bully. You know, like you you take away their power over you by just hitting them in the nose. I, well, no, can we draw this out for a second? I think that that's exactly right. It's saying like, I'm not going to play by your rules and... Yeah, you hit them. You do something unexpected. You know, the image that comes to mind to me is of the bodies going slack of the protesters who sat at the lunch tables, at the lunch counters during the height of the civil rights movement. The bully muscle that was being flexed was a literal one of batons of police officers. And and by saying, like, here, we will slacken our bodies. Go ahead. It doesn't matter. Right. Like that is a way of subverting the power. And I love Ron's punch him in the nose, not because it's violent, but because it's a muggle tactic. Draco puts all of the emphasis on pure blood and wizardry and magic. And Ron is saying like, hey, if you can't beat him at that game, just use an old muggle tactic, which is the place where Draco is weak. I love that. Absolutely. I remember we talked about last week how Snape has this promise of being a great teacher and then really lets Harry down. And it really struck me in this chapter that McGonagall is doing exactly the same thing in a different way. You know, Harry and uh, Draco are outside. Madame Hooch is, is helping Neville to get to the hospital wing. And Harry is incensed and jumps onto his broomstick and heads off into the sky. And McGonagall sees this, you know, She sees him breaking school rules. She sees Draco breaking school rules. But instead of punishing him, she takes him and is like, you are going to be the best seeker for Gryffindor House that we've ever had. And takes him immediately to meet the captain, Oliver Wood, who she takes out of a classroom. Like there is (laughs) her house pride is coming so far ahead of the rules of the school, of the education of these children. It showed me a different side to McGonagall. Absolutely. And I was 
half expecting her to justify this in a meaningful way of being like, well, it's important for us to have Gryffindor be on top again for you all to believe that bravery matters and not just ambition. But instead, all she says is, I couldn't look Snape in the face for a month, so we can't lose again. She's completely demonstrating to these children that her own pride is what matters more than their education or more than rules or, yeah. It's a complete betrayal of her role. Another example of betrayal here is something that happens with Hermione. And Hermione is easy to tease, right? And easy to see is out for herself, that like she wants to be the best. But she overhears that Harry and Ron are going to meet Draco for a midnight duel. And she immediately tries to stop them from doing it. And certainly she she doesn't seem concerned about them getting into trouble. She mentions that as one of the risks. But what she's really upset about is that it's going to lose points from Gryffindor. And so I think that Hermione is really showing herself as a team player here. She wants Gryffindor to win. That is not about being a team player. She wants Gryffindor to win. It's about herself. She is totally still being, like, no critique. But I I still see this as totally Hermione being selfish. She's self-interested that her house wins. She doesn't want other people to break the rules. But... If she was entirely self-interested, wouldn't she just let everybody self-destruct around her so she could ascend individually? She wants to be a part of a winning team, but she sees herself as part of a team. That's she- true. That's true. Because she doesn't have any friends. <laughs> but um, I think it's interesting that Hermione still lets herself become friends with Ron and Harry because I think that she's already seeing that they're going to put themselves and their own pride above what's best for the whole. That gets to the next phase of betrayal to me, which is how do you get over a betrayal? You know, Hermione, you know, stands up for herself and sort of puffs off and and then eventually becomes friends with Harry and Ron anyway. And I'm curious as to you know, what we can learn from watching how Harry, Ron, and Hermione and all of these characters learn from their betrayals and what they do in order to heal after them. Because you can very justifiably become bitter or become dejected or lose faith and lose hope, or you can sort of pick yourself back up. One small place where I think we can learn about overcoming betrayal is... um Neville, he ends up in the hospital wing after his fall. And um, at some point, Mrs. Pomfrey must send him back to the Gryffindor Tower, but sends him unaccompanied, which, hello, this is still week one, an 11-year-old child, probably at like midnight. And when um, Harry, Ron, and Hermione find him, he's sleeping like outside the the, the, the entrance to the Gryffindor common room because he can't remember the password. And I, I can just imagine him kind of feeling so betrayed by Mrs. Pomfrey, who just like released him into the night. But he settles in. He's like, oh, well, let's just have a little nap here. I'm sure someone will find me. And they do. So that there's something about Neville's willingness to trust again, which I think is... It's actually really touching. I agree. As we transition from our theme into our practice, we're going to re-engage with our 
contemplative imagination or our sacred imagination practice that we that we borrow from uh, the Ignatian spirituality tradition. And Vanessa, this time I'm going to read you a passage from The Midnight Jewel in which McGonagall is taking Harry somewhere after she's called him down from the Quidditch flying debacle. And again, the idea with this practice is to really imagine ourselves into the scene to um, maybe close our eyes and try and embody ourselves into either one of the characters there or you yourself just being in the scene. Maybe you're standing to the side. Maybe you're looking down from above and to try and engage all the different senses, sight, sound, taste, smell, touch. What can we learn from this scene that is maybe just behind the text itself? So here we go. Up the front steps, up the marble staircase inside, and still Professor McGonagall didn't say a word to him. She wrenched open doors and marched along corridors with Harry trotting miserably behind her. Maybe she was taking him to Dumbledore. He thought of Hagrid, expelled but allowed to stay as gamekeeper. Perhaps he could be Hagrid's assistant. His stomach twisted as he imagined it, watching Ron and the others becoming wizards while he stomped around the grounds carrying Hagrid's bags. So what did you see? I felt Harry's stomach in all of that. His eyes sort of twitching around to see where McGonagall is leading him. And that feeling in his stomach of just the absolute desperation that he is feeling, that complete and utter fear. Um, Everything is at risk for him in this moment. He really thinks that he is about to get kicked out of Hogwarts, you know, day seven. And so I I can, like, feel the bile in my throat, right? Those moments where you are so scared that your, like, mouth tastes like nickel and your stomach is in knots. Yeah, to me, all I did was feel all the different ways that I feel afraid. I mean, being scared, it becomes a physical thing. The other thing that I noticed was how being scared changed my relationships to people you know here is ron his very best friend and and this passage while he's in that place of fear becomes resentment at ron you know it's it just illustrates what horrible things fear can do to us yeah. um and and the people we love uh, that yeah. that really struck me reading it this time yeah the i mean it was so interesting he's so scared and he immediately starts going all of these different places his thoughts are racing so being inside his head i was thinking it's like, oh, his head sort of shoots to the Dursleys and it's like, I'm not going there. And so it shoots down to Hagrid's hut and then it shoots back into Hogwarts and Ron succeeding there without him. His brain is just, you know, battering around like a ping pong ball. Which does have a lot to say about actually how incredibly action oriented and, and resilient Harry is. You know, he's planning plan B, plan C, plan D in these short moments following McGonagall through these corridors. Um, and that's something he's going to be doing. You know, he's already shown that he's he has that ability and it's it's going to become more and more important. Yeah. What your spin on that, Casper, speaks to me is that lately I've been trying to let myself sit in bad feelings a little bit longer. That's hard. It's really hard. And I've learned that, you know, self-soothe and self-care are not the same thing. And, you know, when I'm having a bad emotion, I know how to soothe myself. I know how to put on an episode of Gilmore Girls and I know how to pick up reading Harry Potter and I know how to, you know make myself feel better. 
But sitting in the bad emotions and just letting fear overtake you for a minute and really contemplating, like, what would it be like to have to be sent back to the Dursleys, right? Allowing yourself to go there, I really do believe, allows you to celebrate more later. It puts certainly puts your priorities into perspective. I wonder if Harry really contemplated what was at risk of being sent back to the Dursleys if he would stop taking so many risks, you know, in the next several years at school. I think that sometimes letting yourself just go through the fear, the sadness, the vulnerability can really end up being very rewarding. And that's what I'm taking out of this, not to immediately go to the justification place, but to mourn whatever it is that you've just lost. There was a great piece recently in the New York Times about the more specific you're able to be about the emotions you're feeling, the more resilient you become. And we don't, we we aren't able to explore exactly what we're feeling if we ignore them. Um, so I think you're you're so wise to invite us into that. Although it is really really hard and so much easier to reach for the you know Nutella and spoon. And. I also just want to say there's a time for self-soothing. There's a time where, like, the wound is too raw. You're just pouring salt in it, you know. Just go for that Nutella Just go for the Nutella. You're allowed, right? Like, that is one of the stages of dealing with things as long as you also leave yourself a chance to name those feelings. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, It's a a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com ACAST. That's greenlight.com ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So, Casper, now is the time where we transition to our blessings. Who would you like to bless this week? Pavati Patil twice stands up to Draco. And, you know, there's every reason why she should stay quiet. I'm, I'm sure she's a little afraid of him. You know, she's not being backed up by anyone else. But she stands up to him and, and tells him to stop it or tells him to give the remember all back to Neville. And she's just so courageous. I mean, that's why she's in Gryffindor. I think she embodies so much of of that Gryffindor spirit in this chapter. And to stand up to a bully is a really scary thing to do, especially if you don't know if someone else is going to stand by your side. So I I really want to bless her for for being brave and to showing us all 
what we should do. The fact that it doesn't work, I think, is totally not the point. She speaks what everyone there is feeling. She's the one who stands up and says, give it back. Stop it. Don't do it. It's not okay. And who knows if that example of courage is actually what enables Harry to then take it from words into actions. So my blessing is for for anyone who has the courage to stand up and say, that's not okay, because it's so important. That was really beautiful, Casper. I love that. And I never thought of that. I do wonder if exactly what you're saying, if her moment of courage is what buoys Harry, you know, being able to. And I feel like so often when courageous things are done, there's so many invisible people behind the moment. And I love that you're calling attention to Pavardi and what she does here. That's beautiful. My blessing is for the fat lady. Um, she's just called the fat lady, right? And I think that we often do that to women. We Women who are not a size that we consider to be acceptable, we write them off as fat women. And, you know, the fat lady doesn't let that label stop her. She guards all of these kids and takes it seriously and still has a lot of sass and, you know, goes and visits other portraits and has a full social life, a full, you know, portrait social life. And she has different relationships with all of the students. And she's also relentless. Like Neville comes back late from the hospital wing and doesn't know the password. And she's like, I don't care that you were in the hospital wing. You don't know the password, which is not something that we see Snape or McGonagall doing. The fat lady really like sticks to her job. And I think we can reduce people's bodies to being these two-dimensional portrait things. But the fat lady shows us that there's so much more to her. So I want to bless the fat lady for breaking stereotypes and for being a three-dimensional character, even though she's literally a two-dimensional character. And I like puns. The fact that she's gone at midnight to me suggests she's also, you know, on some sort of dating app. I love that. What is the magical dating app called? For portraits. <laughs> something. Thank you, Vanessa. Thank you, Casper. In continuation with our wonderful and exciting new segment, Julia Argy from Dover, Massachusetts, recorded the following message on our phone and emailed it into us. We're really excited to hear what Julia has to say. Hi, Vanessa and Casper. I was wondering what your thoughts were on sorting, specifically aspirational sorting, which is a term I made up. So what I mean is that the sorting hat is supposed to take into account which house you want. So if I decide I want to be generous and inclusive and hardworking just in my life, I would hypothetically get sorted into Hufflepuff, maybe even if I'm not naturally generous and hardworking and inclusive. Um, But there's this undertone in the book that the house you want isn't necessarily the house you'll get. And there are inherent personality traits for the characters that predetermine your house. And and since the characters are preteens, essentially children at this point, that seems a little extreme to me. And I guess I wanted to know what you guys thought about this, the idea of like the force of will of someone trying to strive to be a different or better person against who you quote unquote are, which at the age of 12 isn't really like a stable idea in the first place. And um, I was wondering what you thought about that kind of in conjunction with the ramifications that 
the sorting decision has throughout the trajectories of school and life that we see for the characters and kind of what we can take away from the idea of sorting in our own lives. Okay, thanks so much. So, Julia, I'm going to um, play an old chaplain trick on you, which is what I I imagine that a lot of people wonder this um, and what the implications are and what they would do if they were sitting on the stool. And the question that I would like to offer back to everybody is, what is our anxiety around that? Is our anxiety that we wonder if we've made bad decisions? Is our anxiety that we worry that our parents have nurtured us in ways that are against our nature? Is our anxiety that we're not listening to our inner voices enough? And what what's interesting about your question to me is not any answer that Casper or I could come up with, but is that anxiety that I think we all feel about who we really are and how different identities that we try on, you know, represent that to the world, Um, whether we decide to perform a certain gender or we decide to perform being preppy, but inside we feel a little bit goth or whatever it is that we perform versus who we really are, I think is a balance that all of us struggle with. And that is encapsulated beautifully in this sorting hat moment. And I also think your question reveals this kind of desire to not be boxed in too much. You know, you have the the kind of slither puffs of the world, you know, people who, who want to claim two or more identities. And I think that's something which is so important to do is to, you know, it's fun to play with these houses and to to queer them in a way and, and to try and, yeah, not let us be too defined by an institutional label that's given to us. So I love that your question reveals that desire to hold more identities than what we're given by society. Thank you so much for that beautiful message, Julia. And we'd like to encourage other people to send in their thoughts as well. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. Wherever you listen to us, please subscribe and review, especially on iTunes. Please make sure to rate and review us. It's how people find us, and we really appreciate it. This episode was produced by me, Casper Terkail, Ariana Nettleman, and Vanessa Sultan. Big thanks for their social media help to Jen Stark and Emily Colgan, our Kickstarter supporter of the week, Anastasia Mullen, music by Ivan Pizzo and Nick Boll. Thanks to Charlie and Rebecca Ledley, Lauren Taylor, Shane Bannon and Rufus, the Harvard Communications Office, the Humanist Hub, and our wonderful Harry Potter and the Sacred Text reading group. Next week, we'll read Chapter 10, Halloween, through the theme of friendship. We'll see you then. Thank you. We're really excited to hear what Julia has to say. Julia? Nope. That was weird. <laughs> Shut up. But the beginning was great. I sounded like a newscaster at the end. <laughs> Julia. The weather. <laughs> Gonna shoot over to you for the the traffic Francine. report. <laughs> oh, Francine. I'll give it a go. <laughs> Francine just always has such great news about the traffic. She does. It's not accurate. Route but 303 is clear this afternoon, although we're expecting a large pileup after the... <clears throat> imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bolandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait, is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.